I'm Jan Bedell. I am a neurodevelopmentalist, and that's just someone that looks at the brain, neuro, and how the developmental steps affect learning and affect your ability to function. So I'm so excited to be able to share this. This is the first time I've done this with the gifted approach. I usually work with challenges, but all people have brains, and all brains need to be developed. I'm so glad that you're here to learn about this, talking about organizing Einstein, enhancing the abilities of the gifted learner today. And we're in booth 413. My company's name is Little Giant Steps. It's kind of strange, but what that means is little neurodevelopmental steps equal giant strides in ability. So when you stimulate those little brains, whether they're gifted or not, it really responds. So I'm going to teach you some things about stimulating the brain today. And one of my goals is to equip you with information that can cut your teaching time, who would like that, and accelerate academic results. The other thing I want to do is teach you a concept of inputting information instead of outputting. This is something that's a little different than most curriculums. Most of them are based on output. They all have little blanks that you fill in. And when you change that philosophy to inputting, you get a lot more done in less time. I'm going to teach you three keys to learning anything and invite you to think differently. That's one of the main goals here because sometimes we get just in focus in one way and when we broaden our thinking, it makes a huge difference. So when you unlock learning potential, oftentimes you're looking for curriculum. You know, you might be here looking for the, just the right curriculum for your gifted child. To me, curriculum is like the color on the walls and the furniture and things like that in the house. It's not really the foundation for learning. The foundation is the brain. And when you input information, it makes a whole lot more difference than output. You know, the computer people have this theory, garbage in, garbage out, have that saying. Well, it's the same thing with your brain. If you're not putting good input in, you're not going to get good input out. So the three keys to learning anything through this input channel is, you know, everything has an acronym these days. Ours is FID, F-I-D. And it stands for frequency, intensity, and duration. Now, frequency is time someone hears something. Intensity is how strong that information comes in. And duration is short periods of time is best and then over time. And I'm going to teach you this principle and demonstrate that for you today by teaching you something that you didn't know you were going to learn when you were here at the conference. I don't know if you, any of you have studied flags before, but we're going to learn something visually, and it's going to be some flags. Now, there is going to be a test, so I want you to be sure you pay attention when you get this input because we will have a test, just so you know. All right. So look up here. This is Ireland, Belize, Chad, Serbia, and Nepal. All right. Now, I have said we were going to teach you to think differently, right? Now, some of you came yesterday, so don't give this away. But what I want you to do is you're going to do a little experiment. You're going to count the letter Fs in the following text. So as soon as you know how many F's there are, you just call them out to me, okay? I'm a little confused here. I'm hearing all kinds of numbers. Two, three, four, five, and six. 
And he's sure there's four back there. Now you guys are looking at the same thing. Why is this happening? Well, those of you that are not seeing six, those ofs just kind of disappear. So count again. Make sure you see them. Now, isn't that interesting? Do you know they use this in marriage counseling? Because you're looking at the same thing and seeing different things. And this is the same thing with education. As a neurodevelopmentalist, I'm going to look at things totally different than maybe someone else looks at them that has a different kind of curriculum or philosophy. Here's what we want in our homeschool, right? We want to have children that read well and comprehend. You want, we want them to be great at math, stay on task, follow directions, and be independent learners. Can I hear an amen? Right? That's what we want. What we're talking about there is similar to a house built on a solid foundation. If that foundation is really built well, then the doors always open, the windows come up, and everything's functioning really well. But if the house is not on a good foundation, and if the brain is not on a good developmental foundation, they could be really gifted and not be functioning well. I had one little boy that I saw, and he came home from first grade and told his mother, I'm not a very smart little boy. And he was so smart that he could see that he wasn't doing what the others were doing. He actually had 130 IQ, so he was brilliant, but he didn't think he was very smart. So he didn't have a very good foundation. If the house has a good foundation, then you have these beautiful faux finished walls and everything's fine. But if not, pretty soon there's a little crack in there. What we often see is really gifted children. They are just excelling, excelling, and then about third or fourth grade, sometimes they kind of hit the wall, things kind of implode, and they're not working as well for them. Now the foundation, what's the definition of that? The basis on which something is grounded. In the scriptures, Matthew 7, 24, it says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now that's talking about salvation, obviously. I've uh, come to understand that the Lord has salvation for us in every area of our lives. And so I am going to encourage you to take these words and do something with them like it was building on a rock. The brain, the foundation you know, of a house, it's got lots of components. You've got the, the foundation, the, the studs, the electrical, the plumbing, all of that kind of stuff has to work together to make things happen. The brain has certain things that it needs to really function well for the most brain efficiency. You, know, you can have a smart child that's going along, but they're just not working as efficiently as they should. The areas of development that have to happen are organization of the central nervous system, which includes the brain, receiving information correctly, so that means all the channels getting information correctly, processing, which is your short-term memory, storing information in the right place so it can come back out, and utilizing. That's where you usually work with your child is on the utilizing stage, but all those other things have to be in place as well. So we're going to go through these today and teach you about these different areas. Now I did promise you a test, so I want everybody to look up here and see if you know this flag. 
Whoa, we've got some good learners here. You must be, they meant this, these little apples must be falling close to the tree here. And that is Ireland. Some of you didn't quite get it, so I'm going to give you some more input. All right? So this is Nepal, Belize, and Chad. All right, now how is the brain organized? Our culture is actually not doing so well in some of the areas of development. One of the areas is the tummy time. Now I think it's coming back into vogue now. It's an essential part of your development. These are my three grandchildren. You know, you have to get the grandparent pictures in here somewhere. This is, the little one is Kaylee. She's five months old. And she was having a little struggle with her tummy time, kind of at the end of her tolerance level. And sister got down there with the book to help her out. So whatever you have to do to get your children acclimated to tummy time, my grandchildren always slept on their stomach, so they didn't even have a problem with it. But some people choose not to do that. But they really need to be on their stomach. So here's the reason why. There's a hierarchy of development that needs to happen. The lower level of the brain must be developed properly if you are to expect higher level brain function. So it kind of sounds strange to think this is really part of the foundation, but it is so essential you just don't have any idea. The first thing that happens is random movement. They're on their stomach and they're moving around. And if they're on the floor, they're getting input to their sensory system. This is warm. This is cool. This is rough. This is smooth all of those um, inputs to that sensory system that starts connecting them from their brain to their hands. Well, do you think, and to their feet, do you think it's important for riding for them to have that connection? So those uh, pathways are starting right back here. Now, if you've got an older child, which you probably do, because you wouldn't know they were gifted yet, there, it's never too late to get this information in and to organize the brain. When you get to the next stage, it's the army crawl, which is on the stomach. A lot of children skip this stage. I have two grandchildren that totally skip this. I'm saying, this is, you know, don't you know who your grandmother is? You know, <laughs> how can you do this? But we went back and got it later. So when they're doing the army crawl, it's the first time that the two hemispheres of the brain are communicating. So you've got a bridge called the corpus callosum between the two hemispheres. And when you move your right arm and your left leg at the same time, you're communicating because this side of the body is uh, controlled here, this side of the body is controlled here. So when they move at the same time like this, they start to build that bridge at the pons level of the brain. Then when they get up on their, on their hands and knees to creep, doing a perfect cross pattern creep, this is where their... <coughs> midbrain is starting to be organized. Now there's certain things that happen on in each one of these areas like empathy and bonding and attachment, all of those kinds of things are involved at, at this level. A brain coach tip that I would have for you is to do puzzles on their stomach when they're you know older and this this helps that uh, some of those primitive reflexes that may not have been integrated when they were in this stage to go away because they're, uh, you know, got their shoulders up and that kind of thing. So the midbrain is up on the hands and knees and then the cortex, of course, is the walking and the cross pattern movement. So you want to have your children do each of these activities, 
have them move on their stomach and see what it looks like. If it's a good cross pattern, you know, they're just going across and they're pushing with their toes when they're crawling on their uh, stomach, then you go, all right, we're good. We've got that foundation built. But if they just kind of look like a beached whale, you know, going along, you go, aha, there may be some need here. And it's so important when you have these gifted children to organize their brain because it has to do with organized thought, organized movement, their coordination. So you don't want this brilliant kid that is like a bull in a china shop, can't do things with his body. These are very important. Creeping on the hands and knees, you want to make sure that arm, that hand and the knee are hitting at exactly the same time. They should be able to go forward, backward, chewing gum, and singing at the same time without having to think about it. And then you know it's organized at that level. And then cross-pattern movement, you're looking for that right arm and left leg going out at the same time when they're walking. And if you see them just tucking their hands in everywhere, they just pretty much don't know what to do with those hands, so they just stick them somewhere. So walking fast tends to put them in that cross-pattern. You can do cross-marching as well. But there's a lot of things out there. I've been doing this 22 years. There's a lot of things out there that are called brain training. And, you know, anytime you stimulate the brain, you're training it. So I guess technically that could be called brain training. But um, most of it is up, standing up. And some of the real um, essential part is the, on the stomach and on the ground because our culture is doing all kinds of things that keep them from going through these steps. You know, when a baby is little, they have to work to get their head up like that, and they just seem a little more human and a little happier when they're sitting in a chair. But they just don't get the development that they need. So we're doing all kinds of things in our culture that are delaying development. We've got all kinds of screens that you're probably feeling the understanding of that may be not so good to have all that. And then gadgets for our infants to sit in, everything from two to three months old or from birth. They, you carry them around in those little baskets and, <laughs> and they don't get the information to their system that they need. So activities instead of talking to each other. Oftentimes we're, they're doing all kinds of visual stuff instead of developing their auditory processing. I wanted to, after I saw all this happening and the escalation of children with learning challenges, I just wanted to work myself out of a job. So I created early learning foundations for preschoolers. And this is a neurodevelopmental program where they, like two and a half to three-year-olds, can get the input that they need, kind of like the flags. We do the numbers and number words, things like that, with that flash. But it's got neurodevelopment built into it. So they're going to go through all the developmental steps and work on their visual and auditory processing here. The level two is more for kindergarten. And this little girl was so excited when she, I went to a classroom where they were using it. And um, she turned around because the teacher had said, get out your books. And she said, I love ELF. She, they call it ELF, Early Learning Foundation. You know, I got this beautiful name and then they call it ELF. But anyway, she loved it. <laughs> and I asked her why she liked it. And part of it was because of this input that's built into it. She says, here, the student does this problem, and the parent does this one, and the student does this one, and the parent does this one. She was so excited that her mom was doing math with her. It just took a very short amount of time, and she felt so successful. 
So it's neurodevelopment with a little math built into it. When your two and a half, three-year-old says to you, where's my school? And you're going, are you kidding me? You know, I've got these school-age kids and we're doing this stuff. You, I don't have time for any of that. If you take the two to three minutes here and there to stimulate them and get their brain organized, you will have such an easier time with them later on. So I just encourage that for those little gifted little ones. Okay, so are you ready for a little more input on the flags? Here we go. This is Chad, Nepal, Belize, and Ireland. Okay, now we're going to talk about receiving information. I believe the potential of any person is determined by the opportunities that they have, those opportunities that are presented to them. So that's your main job. It's really difficult to stay ahead of these gifted children sometimes. I'm sure you're experiencing that. But receiving information comes through the senses, the five senses. This is where the brain gets the first information. And if there's a block anywhere there or an inefficiency, a hypersensitivity to sound or touch or anything like that, sometimes it's an overload to their system and they can't pay attention to anything else. So this is one thing that you can actually change if this is happening with your child. I'm going to tell you a story about Jim. Jim was a brilliant little guy. He was 10 years old when he came home one day and he just stomped through the house and didn't say even say hi to his mom. He wasn't homeschooled, but he had just come from school, went in the living room and sat down. And his mom was just kind of irritated about that because he didn't even say hello. He was kind of rude. And so she went in there to find out what was going on and saw this little 10-year-old boy with tear, crocodile tears just running down his face. And she said, Jim, what in the world is going on here? And he says, you just don't know what it's like to be me. And she said, what? What are you talking about? And he said, They're, they want me to write this stuff, and my hand just feels fluffy. <laughs> she goes, your hand feels fluffy? Well, he was really having trouble uh, writing. Probably This was years ago, so he probably would have been labeled this graphic at the time. But what he was describing in his brilliant little brain is, I don't have good connection here to my hand. It feels like fluff. How do you make fluff? make those letters, right? So very early you can stimulate this and change it. The brain has what's called plasticity. The plasticity, it looks kind of like this. The, you have the brain cells that you are born with and then the rest of your brain is connections. So those little appendages that you see sticking out from that dark part, it's kind of like fingers sticking out there. Those are dendrites. That's what grows in your brain. And then the axon is what connects to those dendrites to make a pathway. Now, when you stimulate the child's brain, then that same brain cell might look like this just a little bit, not too long from now. And you can see how that brain cell is going to connect or those dendrites are going to connect to a lot more brain cells there. So you can actually make efficient pathways in your brain by stimulating the brain. With Jim, what happened was he didn't have good pathways, so they found somebody that was a neurodevelopmentalist, and they said, just press on his fingers, press real hard, press on his hands, press on his arms, and like fingertips all the way to shoulders, toes to hips. So this is something that every time you squeeze, you're sending a message, and it starts to build those dendrites. 
you know, there's a lot of ways we could have gotten here from Texas to Nashville, but there's some that are more efficient and take less time, energy, and effort. So that's what you want to do in the brain, make it most efficient. Our brain is only 3% cell bodies. 97% of our brain are the connections. And how that happens is through stimulation, then you get the connections, and then you've got function. So what happened to Jim? He went from a little boy that um, couldn't even feel his hands to becoming a doctor of dentistry, doing oral surgery with working with both hands. So it's really releasing the potential is what we're looking for here. Now some of you are, you know, I've asked you to think differently, and I'm going to say that all channels of learning are important. Now we have for years been hearing about learning styles and find out what your child's learning style is and teach to that learning style. I believe it's important and to be most efficient because some information needs to come in tactily. It's better coming in that way. Some needs to come in visually and some auditorily. Now this is one way, you know, let's look at doing hair. If you are cutting hair or learning to cut hair, you could watch a lecture on it. You could hear that. But until you really get in and touch it and feel it and do it, you're not going to learn that as well. So the tactile is very important here. The tactile system, one thing that we experience, and I didn't realize we were going to experience it, but being a neurodevelopmentalist and having grandchildren, we are in a multi-generational household, and it's just so great to see those little kids every day. But when Kinsey was just a tiny baby, we would get her hands to wrap around our thumbs and pull her up, just strengthening those hands. And then, of course, as she's pulling up, then she's bringing her head up and strengthening those muscles. But we were doing that with her hands. At the changing table, we always picked her up by her hands, not underneath her like that. My little grandson, Carter, he knows if you want him, he wants up, he just comes and puts his hands like that. We put our thumbs out, and he has to climb us, climb up. So we're just doing that all the time. Now, this is what happened that I did not know was going to happen. I don't encourage little ones to write early because it kind of influences their hand, and you don't want to influence that early. You want to go with the genetics. But my, my daughter didn't get the memo on that, and she got her this little doodle, magna doodle. And at 19 months, she's picking up her pencil exactly like this. She never did prehensile or anything like that. And I know that it's from that because Carter, you know, I thought, well, maybe it's just a girl thing or something. But Carter did the same thing. He picked his pencil up correctly. Now, we've got all these kind of weird stuff going on because the children's hands are not developed. You've got to have extensor muscles and flexors to be able to write well. So what we do, instead of saying, hold your pencil right, hold your pencil right, we give them all these activities to do to help with those muscles. So you get these little balls, these are called hyperflex balls, turn them inside out, you put their whole hand in there, and then they open it against that pressure, and that builds the extensor muscles. You know, you, some people say, well, I'm having them squeeze ball and stuff, and that's great for the flexors, but you've got to have the extensors too. So if your child is not holding their pencil right, it is important. We're the only ones that have this pad-to-pad, and um, it's the most efficient to be able to hold it with a tripod. If they're a little younger and you want to start developing this, you can get these little squirt fish. It sits on the second finger. 
you press it with your index finger and thumb, fill it with water, and squirt, 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 squirt. Every time they do that, it's going to do an isometric exercise with their fingers. If they're a little bit older, you can get these little putty, putty eye uh, things, and they just like to poke those out. So a minute, twice a day of doing that. Again, it has to sit on this finger, so these are the only ones working. It will start building that. The boys like these poppers. You push them with your thumbs, and then you have to hold it with your index finger and thumb before you set it down. Oops, that one's not the right one because it just doesn't pop right. But anyway, okay, you get the idea. So they like to do that, and that also will build those muscles. If you really need to give some extra help on that, I love these little, I call it the straight jacket for the fingers. <laughs> But it lets them hold directly on the pencil. It's called a claw. And they hold directly on the pencil. And it has some flexibility. It's not so rigid. And they can't just hold it every other way like the other ones that their fingers don't fit into. So I like this to help them. If they're real little, that twist and right, that green thing where their finger goes in to give some support is helpful there too. So have your children hang from a bar or do monkey bars as much as you can, and that's going to help develop those hands. It, so much is developed with monkey bars, and of course they took those out of the parks. Another cultural thing, because somebody might get hurt. Visually, you have like a sunset. You can't feel a sunset. You can't hear a sunset. You have to see a sunset. So that information has to come in through the visual channel. So some information actually is better coming in visually. One of the things that we see that is more visual is the process of math. So if you're doing long division, what we tend to do is just talk, 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 talk. We say, okay, now we're going to divide 226 by 5. Now you put it under this bracket, and the 5 is over here, and the 226 is over here. Oh, and let's put a decimal because we're going to do decimals today. And they're just looking at you like, I know your mouth is moving, but I have no clue what you're saying. The way to do the math operations that would be best is visual. So if you just say as few words as you can, 20, 226 divided by 5. 5 goes into 2? No. 5 goes into 22? Yes. 4, multiply, subtract, bring down. Divide, record your answer. Multiply, subtract, bring down. And you just show them what's happening, and they can really move through quickly. We did something called visual circle math, which is that very thing. We teach them visually from preschool even to use circles until they know their math facts, and they can see the operation, see what addition is, see what subtraction is, and they move through all the way through fractions and multiplying and dividing multiple digits with just this simple script and these examples, how you're supposed to do it. So if your child knew what they wanted to say, they would just say, can you just please be quiet so I can see what you're doing? <laughs> so just keep those that in mind when you're teaching math operations. You don't have to go with the curriculum. You know, you don't have to do a thousand of the same thing. If they've got it, keep going and just do a review of one or two problems every day of the ones that they've done in the past. That's what we do with this, is we teach them a new thing, and for a week or so, 
they're doing that new thing mostly, but they're reviewing every day something that they've done in the past. Stay tuned to the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network, where you will receive more Brain Coach tips to make life and learning easier. Next week, we move to part two of Organizing Einstein. Those gifted brains can reach more of their potential if their brain is working efficiently. This may be one way that God is equipping you to help with that well-organized function that is so needed. I have watched thousands of moms with no additional educational training take the neurodevelopmental approach for life to create the atmosphere to change their child's life. And you can do it too. Until next week, it's the Brain Coach signing off and reminding you that neurodevelopment is a dynamic approach to life at any age. So think differently. The solution is not in the problem. At Little Giant Steps, we help you find the solutions. Go to littlegiantsteps.com and be encouraged. Bye now.